Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's day two, and hopefully you've read your Bible today, or you're about to read your Bible. What do you prefer? Should we should we listen to the podcast before or after we read our Bible? I, you have Christian liberty in what you choose to do. With no, that. I want a prescription. Nope. Tell me what to do. I'm not going to give you a prescription. I think you should read it after. You think <laughs> after, not before. You know, honestly, though, I, I probably would read it before and then listen to the podcast to see if I miss anything. Or, you know what, uh, this would be helpful, too, to, as, I, as I'm reading to see what to look out for, things to pay attention to. I think that's helpful, too. So I, I like both. I'm so going to read before and after. Before and after. I'm going to do both. Okay. Okay. Huh. Hey, we were talking a little bit off air before we hit record more about the whole conversation about the age of the earth and, and things like that. I didn't want to give the, the wrong impression yesterday. This is not Bible verse science. Um, and sometimes that is what is pitched. And sometimes that's what's pitched by those that are in the scientific community that do not agree with the existence of God and so forth and so on. But there are resources out there that I think are helpful for you if you want to dive deeper into this. And when I say deeper, I do mean quite literally deeper into this. Um, you can go to Answers in Genesis uh, or uh, ICR, Institute for Creation Research. Uh, both of those are, are great resources that engage in the scientific arguments for the age of the earth. And, uh, and show, and I think helpfully so, uh, a compatibility with the biblical account of creation and the, uh, the young earth age of, uh, of the earth position. So, yeah, that doesn't change the fact that there's much disdain from the scientific community True. for people like them. And in fact, Bill Nye and um, Answers in Genesis Ken Ham had that debate a couple of years back where they recorded it and put it on YouTube or whatever. That's kind of worth watching. I think that was an, uh, enjoyable and fun. I really even appreciated Ken's approach with, with Bill. Ken was a gentleman, and he was yeah. he was so composed and articulate. I just I really appreciated that, even though I felt like it wasn't it wasn't a good debate, and that it didn't feel productive to me. Yeah, but I did appreciate Ken's disposition. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into the text. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Genesis four through seven. Genesis four. So, uh, it one thing that struck me reading reading this section right on the heels of uh, the fall of mankind is just how quickly things unravel. Uh, you, you've got the fall in Genesis three. Uh, then you've got the first murder here in Genesis four. Then by the end of Genesis chapter four, one of the descendants of Cain, Lamech, not Lamech the father of, of Noah, but a different Lamech, uh, is boasting in his murdering ways and, and in his sinfulness. And then you've got uh, chapter five uh, is a genealogy. Then you've got chapter six, where all, all things are, are just completely unhinged at this point. And uh, the, the wickedness, the evil that's that's spread across the face of the earth is such a, that God, even it says in the text, regrets having made mankind, which is a word that we'll have to deal with. Um, and then you've got the, the worldwide flood, but it, just amazing how quickly sin spreads. And in fact, uh, to give the first title of the uh, the new year uh, is uh, Genesis chapter four, I've got uh, spreads like gangrene. <laughs> yeah. Which is a pleasant thought for you. No, but um, sin, it just, it, it, it just completely pervades everything from Genesis three onward. And that's the doctrine of original sin, that we are born guilty in Adam and we are born corrupt with a sin nature. And that sin nature will manifest itself inevitably in every single person. Uh, even as we read the story about Cain and Abel, Abel we often think about as you know, the victim because he was, but in no way, shape or form was Abel completely innocent of sin. A- Abel had his own sin for which he was accountable to God for. 
uh, it just is, is the fact that Cain's sin is particularly highlighted here. It's interesting in chapter four, the, the issue arises of these two offerings. Now, we are not told specifically the nature of uh, the two offerings. We know that, that Abel, though, brought the best of his flock and Cain brought fruits with him from his produce. And, and Cain was a farmer. This is not a commentary on whether or not the blood sacrifice is better than the fruit sacrifice or not. This is more about the nature of the offerings. And most likely, though, we're reading into the text still, uh, it seems that Cain probably didn't bring his first fruits. He didn't bring the best of his crop to the Lord, but just brought some to the Lord. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering more than Cain's because Abel's was better in quality. Um, the point of this account is is Cain's response. Cain responds angry at God and angry at his brother and eventually murders his brother. And uh, and therein we get a glimpse into uh, a, an idea that, that pervades scripture from this point forward. And that is uh, that what matters is not the act of worship, but the heart of worship behind it. And uh, Matthew chapter 22, or Matthew chapter 7, rather, verse 20, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruit. Uh, in other words, the, the, the internal uh, produces the external. And so here we see that Cain, uh, it wasn't so much about the external offering because he had an internal problem that was, uh, was quite uh, a threat to him and also quite literally a threat to his brother. So who are the people then when God disciplines Cain or punishes Cain by saying, hey, you're going to be a wanderer? He says in verse 14, whoever finds me will kill me. Who are the people he's talking about? Yeah, I think there's two options there. I think number one, uh, this may imply an already expanding, rapidly expanding population. Uh, in fact, we'll see in verse 17, Cain is already married at this point, and so there are more than just Cain and Abel on this on the 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 earth at this point. So uh, there's some time that has elapsed, and so it's 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 possible that there's been rapid uh, population from this point. You may be wondering, what about? You know, marrying siblings, marrying. Listen, at this point, and then post flood, God provided a dispensation of time where He used those relationships as as awkward and awful as that seems to us. Was okay. It was okay at this time under God's uh, provision to populate the earth at this point. Anyways. Mass population is possible. Rapid population is possible. The other thing that's possible is he's simply referring to those that are alive would have all been the kin of Abel, would have been related to Abel and thus under an obligation even to exact vengeance on their their relative's death at the the life of Cain. Do you have a preference for which one you think is more likely? I I think it's it's probably a combination of the two. Um, I do think the fact that, that Cain is married by verse 17 does show that there is uh, a greater population on the earth than we're aware of at this point. Uh, that's where I tend to lean, although the second one is in, in compelling as well. I, I tend to lean on the first one because I think God, when he tells them be fruitful and multiply, that's what they did. Yeah. Um, and, and the question in your mind is, well, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people given the, the narrative so far. And I think what's important to realize is that we're not seeing all of human history, we're seeing a very specific line. Remember the book Snapshots. of Genesis is written in order to talk about the people of Israel, talk about the covenant people that God that God rose up in order to be the line by which he would send the Messiah to restore what was broken, the relationship that Adam and Eve had destroyed and ruined. So what you're seeing here is a very specific line, a family line. And in fact, that's one of the major uh, structure markers of the book of Genesis. You'll notice that the terminology, um, this is the book of the generations of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. That's the, that's very purposeful. Genesis is the beginning of all humanity, but more specifically, it's the beginning of the people of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then, of course, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Abraham. So don't be put off by that. Just recognize here we're looking only at a very small sliver of humanity. Yep. Answer this other question, Pastor PJ. What's the mark on Cain? Uh, the Mormons at one point believed that it was black skin. Do we believe that? 
No, I don't think we believe that. Uh, it, it's a, an act of God's mercy and grace, even uh, on someone who isn't repentant. I, I, we don't see any act of repentance, really, I don't think, anywhere in this from Cain. I think Cain is fearful for his own life and the consequences of his sin. Uh, but herein, God is is putting some sort of mark on him. What was it? Is it? I don't think it's skin color. I think it's simply there's a mark on Cain that wasn't a negative thing either. It was a positive thing for Cain. It was something that people would notice this mark and say, okay, he's protected by God and uh, and it, he's not mine to, to, to take his life. So um, I don't know that we can identify specifically what it was, but to, to imply or build a doctrine that this is somehow in, implying an inferiority of a, a skin color or anything else like that is way outside the bounds of what we find in the text. Yeah, maybe it was like an S on his chest. Right. Something like that. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Save. <laughs> Shall not. Yeah. Um, verses 17 through 24, we get Cain's genealogy. These are the Cainites, not the Canaanites, but the Cainites. Uh, and notice God does some some positive things through the descendants of Cain here. There is, are some good trades and good things that come out of Cain's uh, descendants as God continues to expand his plan for humanity. But then in verse 25, we zoom back in on Adam and Eve, and, and Eve has another offspring. She gets another man. God uh, gives her another one. And, and it's interesting, even the language here, when she, it says at the beginning that Eve says, I got a man uh, with the help of the Lord. And even here in verse 25, uh, she said, God has appointed for me another offspring. Uh, this seems to be some of, of Eve's faith in the promise of Genesis 3.15, uh, maybe even thinking that this would come to fruition a lot faster than it would, obviously. Right. This is it. Uh, but she's at least, she's looking to God to follow through on his promise, which is kind of cool. But she gives birth to one that we'll pick up on much later, or not much later, but in a little bit here, whose name is Seth. And Seth is going to be significant for us as well. Genesis 5, then I've got another title for you. You know what it is? Um, Adam's descendants to Noah. Uh, close. I uh, I came up with Adam's family. Adam's family. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Yep. Yeah. Adam's family. No, this is the uh, the genealogy of Adam from himself all the way down to Noah. Uh, and there's some things to note here. Number one, note the length of life. Man, these these guys were living a long, long, long period of time. But also notice the repetition of the phrase "and he died." and he died, and he died. Not all genealogies have that. They just imply it because they move on to the next one in the line. And so it's unique, it's specific that death is mentioned here over and over and over again. And I, I can't help but think that this is because of the the fact that the fall is is in the rearview mirror here. And it's a reminder of the consequence of the fall here that we see all of these long lives. Death still meets all of them, except for one, except for one guy, Genesis 5, 24, Enoch. Enoch knew the Lord and walked with him and was not for God took him. What a cool what thing. gives, man. What a cool thing. How do I get on that? Right. Well, and that, that's the thing. I don't know that we can guarantee that that's going to happen, but but what a target for us, right? That, that this man had such a close relationship with the Lord. And I think we see some of this in Noah too. But that this man had such a close relationship with the Lord that the Lord was like, okay, I, you come to be with me. You're not going to undergo the, the penalty for, for sin. I'm going to take you to be with me. So if we're going to prescribe somebody to get Enoched, you just have to be really, really godly. You got to just nail it. Nail it day yeah. by day for 365 years. Yep. Yep. And then maybe, maybe. God will take you. <laughs> yeah. We get to the end of it though, and we find Lamech. And again, this is not the Lamech that we read about in Genesis 4. That is a descendant of Cain. This is a different Lamech. This is a descendant of Adam through Seth. And this is the one who gives birth to through his wife, Noah. 
And even in his naming of Noah, I think we again get some of the hope in the Genesis 3.15 narrative uh, coming to fruition when he says of Noah, uh, out of the ground the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief, verse 29, from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This is a direct uh, statement of saying, hey, he's going to undo the curse. Uh, And so again, I think you see that this expectation that God was going to do something to undo the curse was perpetuating even already in in creation. The, The gospel is not something that came on the scene all the way in the New Testament, and all of a sudden it's something that we're talking about now. It was an ex- expectation that God was going to do something to undo the, the curse of sin, even all the way back here in Genesis chapter 5 with Lamech saying, hey, Noah's going to be the one to undo the, the curse here. I think that's an act of faith, naming your kid that, pointing to what you hope that God will do. For sure. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, Genesis 6. <laughs> Why do you say it that way? Well, what do you call this one? Corruption of gigantic proportions. Oh, see what I did? Yeah, I yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah. No, this is uh, this is when things just go south hard. Yeah, and uh, we got to talk about it right off the bat because it's there, and there's a lot of questions about the Nephilim. Who were the Nephilim? But more specifically, they came from the sons of God cohabitating with the women of men. Who were the sons of God? Um, there's three options out there. <coughs> Option one being uh, these were angels, angelic beings that uh, inhabited the, the bodies of, of men and slept with these women and the, the Nephilim were the descendants of the offspring of these impure relationships. Second were these were just powerful men uh, on the earth that were known as the sons of God. Uh, and third are these were the, uh, the descendants of, of Seth, the, the, uh, the godly ones that intermarried with the descendants of Cain the ungodly ones on earth and the Nephilim were a result of their uh, union. I lean towards this were the, the, these were the, the, the offspring of fallen angels who inhabited what? men on earth. You weirdo. Why do you believe that? I do. <laughs> yeah. I think we get a, a glimpse of this in first uh, Peter three, 19 through 20, uh, which talks about the angels that did not obey during God's days with Noah or during the days of Noah. Second uh, Peter two, four through six. We see that again, that these angels, this specific class are being kept in chains uh, Jude 6, we pick up on that same concept again because they left their proper dwelling and now they're being kept in eternal chains. I think these, this is the group. They came and during this time on earth, they took on uh, human bodies, which we see demons do in the New Testament. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that these fallen angels did the same thing, slept with these women and produced the offspring, the Nephilim. And, uh, and that's who we see here at the beginning of Genesis 6. So some people will say, well, Jesus says that the angels neither marry nor are given into marriage. So it doesn't seem like this is possible. Well, angels in their pure form, pure meaning uh, simplest form. Natural form. Right, natural form. That's true. But when angels take on these other bodies, these these bodies of, of human beings, then they are possessing the body of the human being and capable to use that body of the human being to do as they would see fit or as they please. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I think that these are angelic beings as well, sons of God. Uh, typically, in Old Testament, that's what it's referring to. They're talking about angelic beings. I don't know that they needed to take on a human body. I, I, I wonder if there's something about the, the way that God made them where they they just possess the material. They don't yeah. use it. Yeah. So I think that's a possibility. I also read too, um, verse four, the Nephilim aren't necessarily the offspring of, of, of those people. Um, cause it says here in verse four, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children. So saying it that the timing is consistent. 
And perhaps you could say, well, it seems like they're probably the offspring. They could be, but they're not necessarily one and the same because the text doesn't tell you exactly that. It says that, hey, these guys are concurrent. Perhaps they are the same people. They are all the same progeny. Regardless, there's something very weird going right. on at the beginning of Genesis 6. And I'm with you, though. I think that the sons of God are angels. Nephilim are probably the offspring of those angels, which means that there were some really big people out there. Right. And I think, man, this is going to get us in trouble here. When God initiated the flood, did he wipe out all of these people? Yes. All of them? Yes. Because there's some really big people out there, man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So are they are they not in some way related to the... Because, I mean, think about that that that, uh, that Chinese basketball player who's like eight foot or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's nine foot. Is there any way that he has DNA that goes back to these people here? No. No, you don't think that's possible no, at all. No, because I do hold to the universality of the flood. And I think in chapter seven, we get there and, and it's explained there. Uh, but before we get there, what do we do with the Lord regretting making mankind as a result of the wickedness that's on the, the earth at this time? I'm not done talking about the Nephilim. But well, let's, we'll get, let's well, go. But, okay, so then let's <laughs> let's jump. Okay, okay no, 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 no. let's do that. Let's, no, do, no. let's talk about regret. No, let's jump. <laughs> let's jump to, to Genesis 7, okay? Genesis seven nineteen. The the language that we see there begins the idea of the universality of the worldwide flood. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that every uh, mountain under the whole heaven was covered, okay? Uh, could God have localized this and said that all the mountains in the area were covered? Yeah, totally could have could have localized it. Didn't. Genesis 17, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Now we have an exact measurement of how high above the mountains the water was there. 721, all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarmed on the earth, all mankind, all mankind. Genesis 722, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Genesis 723, Every living thing he blotted out that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping thing. So I, I, I don't think the the language of, of Genesis 7, the repetition there, and, and the Bible repeats things to emphasize them. And at the end of, of the flood account there, it's, it's emphasized over and over and over again that this was a universal flood and everyone died except mm-hmm. for Noah. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I don't, I don't think that the Nephilim are still wandering the face of the earth or their descendants or their genetically connected relations if it happened once it could it it could have happened again happened more than once yeah yeah totally like genesis 6 playing out multiple times in human history without it without it being prescribed or preserved rather in scripture that i'm that i can i can agree with that so i still think that basketball player could be a nephilim (laughs) i don't know (laughs) if i'd call him that to his face but it could be well even think about when the spies go to spy out the promised land they come back to to joshua or they come back to to uh to moses and they say hey whoa those guys, they're, they're, they're huge over there. They're gigantic over there. And, and some have even said that, that this is part of the reason for including this is to help provide an apologetic for the early Israelites because there was a belief that they were descendants of the gods, um, that uh, the, the gods, lowercase g, not angelic beings, but that they were divine offspring, these Nephilim. And so here was a uh, an apologetic for, no, they weren't that. They were descendants of the sons of God, these angelic beings, but they weren't divine in and of themselves. So mm. again, there's, there's more at work than, than meets the eye. But what about the Lord's regret? The Lord's regret. What do we do here? Well, in Genesis or in Exodus, rather 32, 14, same word is used uh, in the word is translated relent there. He relented. He did not destroy the people, but relented. He changed his, his approach and what he was going to do. Um, this is where we bump into the idea of an infinite God trying to 
communicate to a finite being that, that God is trying to make himself known to us in a way that we understand. I think what we walk away with here is the sin of man pained God. It was painful to him and grieved him um, to the point that it was as though the Lord regretted making mankind. Did he regret in saying, I've made a mistake? No, because God does not make a mistake. And that's where it's important for us to let what we know about God from the totality of scripture inform passages like this and what this word means. Because we have to look at at the rest of, of scripture. And when we read things like God is not a man that he should change his mind, um, then, then that helps us understand, okay, well, then that's not what's, ha- what's happening right here. It's not as though God is going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But I think what this is communicating to us, and again, this is an English rendering of a Hebrew word that, me- that has a, a breadth of meaning here. Uh, I think what we can walk away from is saying, man, this is, is indicative of the fact that God is grieved over sin. And that should be something that sticks with us today still. Yeah, it's an anthropomorphic way of telling us how God feels. Right. Condescending, kind of like using baby talk. <laughs> baby yes. talk is not exactly accurate when you're using it yeah um, but it's true it's truthful it's just not everything that you could say about the topic yeah one thing that we miss here that uh, the book of Hebrews or the book of first and second Peter rather help us understand is as Noah is building the, the ark he's a preacher at the same time and it doesn't say that here in Genesis though it's implied perhaps but if you go to first Peter chapter 3 verse 20 uh, it says this they formally did not obey speaking of these angels that we just talked about in when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So the, the patience of God during the days of Noah, what was he being patient? How was he being patient? Well, through Noah's preaching. How do we know that he was preaching? Well, then we go to second Peter chapter two, verse five it says, if he did not prepare, spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, a herald, that's the word for preacher or proclaimer of righteousness with seven others when he brought a, a, the flood upon the earth. So as Noah was pounding nails, he was also pounding the word of God into the, the, the lives of the people around him. He was preaching, proclaiming, calling them to repent and, and calling them to pursue righteousness because of the impending judgment. So kind of a cool picture of Noah that we don't get from Genesis, but that we do get from the rest of the scripture helping us to understand and look back on this passage. Which how would they have known that? How would who have known that? The people, I mean, well, Peter, I guess, but how would people have known that? It tells us that there's an oral tradition outside of the scriptures right. that isn't preserved. Right. And that's okay. Yep. So there you go, Genesis 4 through 7 uh, in a nutshell. Again, if you've got questions, shoot, got us a, shoot us an email. Anything at all. Yeah, podcast. Actuary tables. You want to know uh, about dung beetles. You want to know maybe, about traffic light timing. Maybe not that. Just maybe questions about the Bible and the passages that we've we'll read. We'll give you a theological answer to those questions. <laughs> we will. Hey, one of the things that we want to do this year is utilize the end of our podcast time to make sure that our church is up to date with what's going on. And something that we do have coming up that we want to make you aware of is baptisms. If you have not yet been baptized as a believer, now is the time for you to do that. So go online to our website, compassntx.org, click on the baptism link and make sure that you get registered for our upcoming baptism service. You'll come in, you'll meet with me or with Pastor Rod. You'll go over your testimony with us. We've got a couple of short books for you to read just to make sure that you understand the gospel and and what baptism is all about. And then we will see you get baptized before your church family coming up here in January. So if you haven't yet done that, now's the time to do it. What a great way to start off the year by getting baptized. Start with a big splash. A big splash. Look at that. Mm -hmm. Hey, keep reading your Bibles and we'll join you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. 
Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.